All right. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me tonight, as always, is Caleb Jenks. As mostly <clears throat> always. <laughs> always enough. I mean, no one, no one ever expects someone else to be on here. All right. So tonight, what we're talking about is Easter. A lot of you folks have an idea about Easter and you're going to hear something different tonight. And I'm going to try my dead level best to be really nice about it. And I'm just going to come out and say it. Caleb and I do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead on Easter. That's it. I know that idea is ridiculous to a lot of folks. I would just ask that you take the next hour and listen to us, and if nothing else, humor us, and then laugh at the two dum-dums who think that Easter is this crazy, wicked, pagan holiday that has nothing to do with Jesus. And if we don't have a leg to stand on, then you only lost an hour of your life. But if we can actually present the facts straight out of the Bible, mind you, we're not pulling from a lot of different sources. Before we started tonight, Caleb asked me, he's like, hey, through your notes, have you double-checked your sources to make sure they're all credible? And I said, Caleb, I don't have a single source but the Bible on this one. On other ones, yeah, I, I mean, there's information that, I bring in extra biblical historical information. I said, this one is just 100% straight up Bible. It's really not hard to prove. With that being said, I'd like to start off today's discussion with an idea. This idea is important. And if you don't find yourself in line with us on this one idea, well, you're really not going to like most of these podcasts that we put together. This idea is sola scriptura. That is Latin for by scripture alone. The idea is very simple. As a Christian, that's not simple. That's does... radical. Very radical. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb, do you know why I have not felt comfortable in almost every single church I've visited my entire life? Well, scripture alone plus a little bit of tradition, or quite a bit of tradition. Tradition alone plus a little bit of scripture. Okay, that is the reason that I typically find myself uncomfortable in most churches. I end up realizing that I take the Bible very literally, and that is the only place I go to for all matters of faith and practice. It does not matter the religion you belong to, the way you or I were raised, the books we've read, the beliefs we have, none of it matters. Absolutely none of it. The only thing that matters when we are talking about what the Lord wants out of us, what does the Lord expect us to do with our lives? It all comes down to this black leather bound book with the little bookmarks. Most of them are red. 
I put some extra ones in and green's my favorite color. That's all that matters. What does the Bible say? So I'm going to ask you just for tonight to take the desert island challenge. It's just you on a desert island with your Bible. What would you believe? There's no popular culture. There's no media. There's no social media. There are no friends. There's no books. There's no movies. There's no radio. There's none of all these influences. There's not your family and her family and your friends and the coworkers and all, all the different places telling you what you should believe. It's just you and a Bible. That's it. You and a Bible and the good Lord Jesus to pray to. What would you believe? For me, I started this whole thing out very differently than a lot of you. I started this whole thing out being raised Catholic. Now, for those of you who were not raised Catholic, you have to understand a few things about Catholicism. And I have several Catholic friends and plenty of folks in my family that are still in that system. And you're, you know what? Some of you were very patient with me and others of you are going to get mad when I say this, but let's face it. Growing up in a Catholic church, there's a couple things you just really don't do. The number one thing you don't do is read the Bible. I never touched a Bible until I was out of the house for many years. I think I was 20 or 21 years old. And some Christian that I knew out in California, he was with Campus Crusade for Christ. And he gave me a little pocket-sized New Testament. Like I said, I was 20 or 21 years old. First time I ever touched a Bible. And I, and I started reading it, that, that, that Bible. You don't pray. I never one time remember getting together as a family and praying for anything. The only thing you did was you showed up at church every Sunday or sometimes not that often. And, you know, you did what they said. And there were some, you know, holidays and different things that you went to. You, you, Caleb, I have never met the Catholic that was anything but apathetic. I never met the Catholic that really cared all that much about anything. You still you still have some Catholic friends, you said? You got, yeah, I mean, well, that'll be, be different at the end of the night. Keep in mind, I have some, some friends, some customers, people that I work with that are Catholic and they're never the folks that get me together and say, Hey, can we pray about this? They're never the ones that are really knowledgeable about the Bible. I've never met an informed, knowledgeable, passionate Bible reader uh, that was part of the Catholic Church. The reason I'm saying all this is when I got saved and I got a Bible in my hands and I started reading the Bible, all of a sudden in that first year, all these things started coming up and I was the guy that questioned everything because I knew nothing, zero. I didn't learn anything growing up. So every church I went to, I was asking the people that seemed like they knew what day of the week it was, what was going on? And I said, well, what about this? And how does this work? And, and, I, and I was asking everybody. And Caleb, when I got to Easter, it did not make sense. I said, what on earth is with the bunnies laying eggs? What does that have to do with Jesus? And, and you're such nobody, a fundamentalist. I don't see how you, oh, why, why that mattered to you. I mean, you want to know Jesus, something? I I can't understand why that question doesn't come up with other people. 
How is it that right. every year we see bunnies laying eggs and not one time has anyone said, huh, I wonder what that has to do with Jesus raising, Jesus raising from the dead after three days. Were, were rabbits laying eggs a thing over in Israel that I'm not aware of? So I started asking the questions. I found pretty much nobody that had any answers. So I started researching the subject myself. And 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 that's where we're coming from. I I didn't find a group that was trying to turn me this way or that. I just read the Bible. I believed what it said. And I started asking questions. And it wasn't very hard to find the answers. So Caleb, tell me, where did you come from? When did you start wondering about this or questioning this? Oh, well, it's kind of interesting. We were um, we were raised pretty traditional Christian. Uh, we weren't necessarily big on a lot of the holidays. Uh, we we did uh, Christmas. We'd have a little bit of family family gathering around Christmas. Uh, Easter was never a big deal. I do remember at one point. Uh, my, I think it was my mom's brother or sister. Anyways, aunt and uncle, they had an Easter egg hunt at their house. And so mm-hmm. I, I did go to one Easter egg hunt as a child, but that was never something that was normal for us to do. I never really, sure. I never really paid a lot of attention, but um, obviously the church that my folks had come from, that was something that they were probably a little bit alarmed by was some of the Mm-hmm. pagan holidays. So that wasn't really a big part of my growing up, but there was never any teaching on it. I never really had any any uh, scriptural basis for why we didn't do it. It was just something we didn't do. Now, uh, one thing that did stand out to me was there, the first person that really challenged me on it or uh, um, our family on this idea was we were at a bluegrass festival and there was a family that was there and it was on a Saturday, if I remember right, it was Saturday afternoon, and most of the other bands there were selling CDs on Saturday, and this one family, they weren't selling on Saturday because they were observing the Sabbath. And they asked, uh, the mom in this family asked one of my older sisters, so do you guys, uh, I, I don't remember how the conversation went, but anyways, in some some matter of fact way, my sister ended up making a statement that, yes, we observe this, the Sabbath, but we observe the Sabbath on Sunday. Sure. And so, so this lady decided to take the effort to write my folks this long, lengthy, um, not so kind, but very to the point letter about the fact that how can you call yourselves Christians if you don't obey God and you don't read the Bible and you you observe the Sabbath on Sunday rather than on Saturday. And anyway, Mm -hmm. needless to say, my dad wasn't a huge fan of their family after that. I happened to actually for a while, um, this is first time I'm making this this public, but I had a crush on one of their daughters and I was pretty sure we were going to end up married. So Hmm. I was super bummed out about the whole situation and couldn't believe that this whole thing had to come up and that, of course, now we're not friends with their family anymore. Um, And and they just wrote a letter that was pretty much kind of poking you in the eye. Yeah. Like, hey, how can you call yourselves Christians and not obey the Bible? Which, I mean, it, well, it was a good point. It was a good point well, being made. Yeah, but think about it. I mean, are we really saying that there's no place in their lives where we could say the same thing? Well, probably. You know, I mean, it's it's such a cheap shot whenever we say that to any Christian. How can you call yourself a Christian and do that? It's right. like, okay, buddy, you know, I'm glad that you're the, you know, the one without sin casting the stone. I mean, give me a break. It, it's so they, I always hate to hear that. 
they were a Baptist family that had, um, they're the worst come disillusioned. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Baptist. <laughs> they had become disillusioned with some of the, I think the pagan traditions in the church. And that that's why sure. they ended up um, doing home church anyways. So for the, that was for the record real fast. I identify as a Baptist just to make sure we're understanding. This is, that's this is till 2021, I... 2022 <laughs> might change that. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. So, so you Most, got yelled at by a nice Christian family. Okay. Yeah. Then what? So they, that was a, that was a challenge that I thought was really interesting of this idea of wait, so you could actually call yourself a Christian and not obey the Bible and be cool with that. And then be offended when somebody else is calling you out on it. And so we're not friends mm -hmm. anymore. Anyway, it was mm -hmm. the whole thing was kind of moving for a moving situation for me. One of the things that I started studying about then was the pagan influence in Christianity. And of course I had a vested interest because I happened to like this girl and, and I thought we were going <laughs> to end up together someday. So how, how can we work this out? Uh, and of course, uh, needless to say that didn't work out. I ended up marrying somebody else and she's now married and, and happily married. Mm -hmm. So that uh, the story had a happy ending, but um, mm -hmm. I definitely had a vested interest in trying to find out what this whole belief system was. And sure. I came across Easter at this point in time. And one of the things that was very shocking to me about it is I was of the belief at the time that the resurrection was the single most important event in history for the Christian. And uh -huh. it, it, theologically speaking, if Jesus is still dead, then we preach in vain, right? Sure. Um, and so this was one of these things where I was realizing this is a big deal because this is either atta an attack on Easter uh, mm -hmm. by some, you know, weird doctrine here where people are claiming that it's pagan or it is, um, or Easter is an attack on the resurrection story by, by paganism. Mm -hmm. And so I started trying to find, all right, so who's, who's right on this? Because, you know, there's people who believe one way on it and people believe the opposite direction and which camp do I fall into? And I'm just going to read a uh, verse here out of Deuteronomy. And I think this is very interesting because this is not just something that happens to us here in America now. God knows this is how we as believers, as humans, this is how we work. So Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 29 says, When the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou, sh and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land, take heed to thyself that thou be not snared by following them. After that, they be destroyed from before thee, and that thou inquire not after their God, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God, for every abomination to the Lord which he hateth have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. What thing soever I command you, observe it to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish it. So here we have God making himself very clear that there is there are ways that we can worship him that, are, that honor him. And there are ways that we can worship him that are an abomination to him. And if we drag him into pagan worship, that he's not, he's not excited about that. Apparently first mm -hmm. um, Corinthians 15 should have wrote down the verse here. So first Corinthians 15, I think it's about the middle of the chapter. I'm going to read a verse here to you. And this is, um, an interesting thing because a lot of times when this idea of Easter comes up with a lot of Christians, Christmas and Easter are, are two of the days that are held dearest to a lot of Christians. It's one of the days where people are 
open to showing up to church. They might not show up to church the rest of the year, but on Christmas, they're going to show up or on Easter, they're going to show up because that's, you know, the high holy days of Christianity. And so, of course, you have to <laughs> show up. We call up. them CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. Okay, CEO Christians. That's interesting. So, uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. Actually, I'm going to go, let's go with uh, chapter, or verse 12, sorry. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain and your faith also is vain. So, and then it goes on to say that we're false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ and if he didn't raise him up, then obviously you're a false witness. So this resurrection story is the cornerstone of Christianity. If Jesus Christ was only crucified but did not raise from the dead, then you're you're worshiping a dead God. It, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection is one of the most essential doctrines of Christianity. The salvation does not exist without the crucifixion and the resurrection. There is no hope in Christ if that story doesn't hold water. So, so when when Christians feel that Easter is an important holiday, they're absolutely right that the, the resurrection story is an important time. It is a very important event in Christianity. And the way that most Christians perceive Easter as being celebrated, um, as far as Christ's resurrection, that is an important thing. However, what I started realizing is that Satan uh, and, and humans, flawed Christians, uh, through history have taken one of the most important aspects of our belief system, the most, the most uh, monumental sacrifice that was ever made for humanity. And they, it's gotten muddied up with paganism to where it, no longer do we have a clean, clear resurrection story. It's gotten messed up. And it's really unfortunate when you think about it because Easter, as most Christians think of it, it is a very special time of the year. We had a, a church service this morning at church and we celebrated communion and, and a lot of the, the songs that we sang, I picked out the songs that we sang this morning and, and there's plenty of Easter songs that are very, very true where it talks about the resurrection of Christ. And they're, it's very powerful when you, when you uh, read this story and when you sing about it and we certainly can uh, rally around this and have a celebration. But when you start realizing the fact that this has gotten hijacked by pagan traditions and that it's possible that the one day that we are praising God for this miracle of salvation and, and his resurrection, that we're not doing it in a way that pleases God when we drag pagan things into it. Uh, it makes it makes you question, should I go back to my Bible or should I listen to my pastor? Should I listen to the traditions of my church or should I just go with what the Bible says? And I'm here to say that there is never, ever an occasion in scripture of Christians celebrating Christmas. It never happened. I'm sorry, Easter. <laughs> what did I say? Christmas? It, either well, one. Either one. But it never happened. They didn't celebrate Easter. They did celebrate the Passover and they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but they did not celebrate Easter. It wasn't something that they did. It's not something that Jesus did. And so this comes in extra biblical. And this is why I'm concerned about this idea in Deuteronomy here. It says, that we shall not, if he commands us to do something, we should observe it, but we should not add to it or diminish it. 
And the reason being is because as soon as we add to it, the things that we add to it become idol worship. So I don't know if, if I'm spot on with that or not, but that is my that is my biggest challenge with this thing. That's what that's what changed my mind on it is, hey, why do I care what everybody else is doing? If I'm dishonoring God in keeping traditions that I'm commanded not to keep because they're pagan traditions from the nations that are around us that we're not supposed to learn their ways, and I've learned their ways, do I just say, ah, it's tradition, it's family tradition, it's church tradition, I'm going to stick with this because this is what's cool to do? Or do I say, hey, the Bible says something different and I'm willing to Re realign my life to be in line with the Bible rather than trying to force the Bible into my misaligned life. Okay, Caleb, I would like to jump in and get a little Bible in here and kind of ask you a couple questions to yep. demonstrate to everybody what direction this is going. Caleb, when was Jesus crucified? And you can answer these questions. Keep in mind, folks, Caleb and I don't rehearse any of this. This is off the cuff. So if we're fumbling through this a little bit, bear with us. It, you know, you're getting a conversation from two friends who love the Bible and love each other, just kind of talking on the phone about something. So uh, it, it's it's not rehearsed, and that's why it doesn't always sound polished. But that's that's the way we want it. We don't you know want it to be fake. So Caleb, if I asked you the question, when was Jesus crucified? What would you tell me? Wasn't it right after the uh, Passover, the feast of, well, or before the feast of unleavened bread? Either on a Wednesday or Friday, right? <laughs> well, and it, okay, so you gave me a lot there, and uh, let let's take one at a time. All right, so Jesus was crucified on the day leading up to Passover. And we're going to get to this and we're going to show you some calendars for all you nerds out there that like the days of the week stuff and how it all works out because the Bible is very specific. But when we're talking about Jesus, what did Jesus represent at that time, Caleb? Uh, what did he represent? Yeah. As far as to the Jews, their symbol? I, I mean, don't care. They were, Answer it however they, you want. They, well, some of them thought he was going to be their their earthly king at the time, the Correct. Messiah. Yep. And none of them were expecting Jesus to die the next day. So to give you the calendar, understand Jesus came into the city on the 10th day of the first month, the month of Nisan. And he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And there's a lot of really neat stuff about that and how that worked out and the prophecies that were fulfilled. But we're not going to get to that. And then Jesus was there until <clears throat> the 14th day of the first month. Now, something happened in Israel on that day every single year, and it was very important. And it was one of the times, there are three times a year when every Jewish male was required to go to Jerusalem. And this time was for Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover is one day, and then the next seven days are the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And if you're not familiar with this, you can read about the first Passover in Exodus chapter 12, and then you can read about all of the feast days of the Lord in Leviticus chapter 23, and it goes over these, these dates. Now, what God wanted the Israelites to do was to get themselves either a lamb or a goat of the first year. They were supposed to take it into their house on the 10th day of the first month, and throughout the next, you know, three days, 
all the kids were petting the lamb and they named it and they started to love this little thing because they took it into their house and it was like living with the family and everyone loved this little baby lamb. And then what did they do on the 14th day, Caleb? Killed it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they killed it. And it was heartbreaking and it was heartbreaking for all the kids. And this was something for, for the kids to, to learn about. Um, and for those that were a little older to remember the lesson of the Passover that happened in the days of Moses, when the Jews were in slavery in the nation of Egypt. And what they did back then was they took the blood and they put it on the doorpost. And when it, it, you know, it's in a hymn and it's also in Exodus chapter 12, it says, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the angel of death came through the land of Egypt and every house that had the blood on the doorpost, he passed over that house and and they were fine. They were safe. And whoever did not have the blood applied to the doorpost, the oldest male of that family in that house died. And the Bible says that there was a death in every single home in the nation of Egypt at the time. It was a terrible, terrible time. People often don't understand that if, if someone died in every single household of all the Egyptians, there was no one to go and bring comfort to another because you yourself were mourning because you had a loss as well. But all the Jews were fine. And then they they left Egypt. The next day they woke up and they ran out of Egypt and they, they didn't have time to let the dough rise because they had to have all the stuff on them. So for the next week, what did they eat? Bum, 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 unleavened bread. So you have the Passover, which is a day, and then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is seven days. And the Jews were expected to do this forever. And the Lord says, these are my feast days. They're special to me. They're my days. And you're going to do them forever. So that's what the Jews were told back in Leviticus 23. So now we move forward a couple thousand years and we get to Jesus. And what happens is Jesus comes into Jerusalem on the 10th day of the first month. And just like the lambs that they brought into their house, Jesus ends up in the capital and he goes to the temple and he starts teaching all the Jews and he uh, teaches them for uh, about three days and they all get to know Jesus and they love his teaching and they fall in love with him. And they, you know, they have just like all the families are doing with their lambs. And, and if you don't, if you're not putting it together yet or picking up what I'm laying down, Jesus is called the lamb of God, John. John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God back in John chapter 1 when he was baptizing in the Jordan River and he see Jesus approacheth. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So you have Jesus being the Lamb of God. John chapter 1 verse 29, in case any of you want to look it up. So Jesus was that Lamb. And what happened was, Jesus was in the upper room having the Lord's Supper with the 12. They all left, and Judas went off to betray him. So the Lord's Go Supper ahead. there, you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, was that part of, was, the, was that the Passover Seder, or would that be no. the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Neither. So, and this is where people always get it mixed up. You see, the Passover, let me do this. This is what you're looking at. Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you got to remember, and this is what always throws people, the Jewish day starts at sundown. So what you have is the is you have the day prior to Passover. 
that evening, they have the Lord's Supper. Now, that was a special time with Jesus and the apostles, and they were essentially having their own little Passover Seder, but they were doing it the day before. Why? Because you celebrated Passover with your family. On Passover, they were all going to go and celebrate it with their own family. So they were doing their own little thing the day before. When they were done, Judas left and went to betray Jesus, and Jesus and all the rest of the disciples, they went to the garden to pray. So then what happens is Jesus goes and prays, and he comes back, and the disciples are asleep, and he does it again, and he does it again. And then Judas comes, brings all the guards, and they arrest Jesus. Now, this is right after the sun goes down. From this time until the sun goes down again is when everything falls apart. So Jesus ends up going through several different trials, getting beat up, getting tortured. And finally, he ends up in the middle of the day in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate gives the whole speech and says, I don't find this man to be guilty. And he makes the symbolic gesture of washing his hands in the water and said, his blood is not on me. And all the Jews said, his blood will be upon us and on our children. And he says, who should I crucify and who should I set free? And they say, give us Barabbas. So he does. And then what should I do with this Jesus? And they say, crucify him. So this all happened through the night, through the morning. And then here we are about the middle of day, let's call it lunchtime. And Jesus, boom, marches up to uh, the hill and he gets crucified between the two thieves. And, And you can read about this in detail through the book of Matthew. And then what happens is Jesus ends up dying shortly before sundown. They take down his body, they wrap it up, they get it in the tomb, and then sundown happens. When sundown happens, that starts Passover. And that's when all the Jews were getting together in their own families. And what were they doing? They were eating the lamb that they killed just a little while ago, earlier that day. They killed the lamb and they were cooking the lamb and then they ate the lamb. Because remember, Passover starts at sundown. And then that's the exciting time because where the sun is down and the blood's on the doorpost. Now, keep in mind, the blood on the doorpost was only during the first Passover thousands of years ago in Egypt with Moses, but that's what they're remembering. So they go through the night. Okay. That's Passover. And then Passover continues the next day until sundown when the Feast of Unleavened Bread starts. So Jesus died just prior to the beginning of Passover, the same time they were killing all of the other lambs. So they had tens of thousands of lambs that they were killing and butchering and cooking. And then they all, all the families ate their lamb that evening as the sun was going down while Jesus was dead and he was in the tomb, just like all the other little lambs were killed. Okay. So, so technically Jesus was killed prior to Passover, just like all the other lambs. Then Passover starts sundown of what we would call the 13th day of the first month for the Jews is Nisan and Passover would go until the next sundown. Then you have seven days of the feast of unleavened bread. So Passover ends at sundown and the feast of unleavened bread starts and you have seven days and that's the feast of unleavened bread. The first day and the last day are holy days where you're not allowed to work. Other than that, you're not allowed to eat leaven. You know, you get rid of all the bread in your house, but you are allowed to go to work. What happens 
is that Jesus is in the tomb for how long, Caleb? Three days. Jesus is in the tomb for three days, and then he raises. Now, this is interesting, and this is so interesting and works out so well with Jesus that the Jews don't even celebrate one of the seven feast days they were commanded to anymore. The Passover is not fixed to a day of the week. It's on different days every year. It's on the 14th day of the first month. You got it. Okay. Just like Thanksgiving is fixed to a Thursday, right? Christmas and Valentine's Day and you're on my birthday, they land on whatever day they land on. It's the same with the Passover. So that means three days later, he could raise on, well, whatever day of the week it is. But that year was special. So you have Passover, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is made up of seven days, right? We said seven days. Right. So that means there's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in that week. Now, when you read through Leviticus 23, you find out that there is a feast day in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that is called the Feast of First Fruits. Now, the Feast of First Fruits is interesting because it falls on the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. So you have the Passover, then you have a Sabbath, then the next day is always a what? Sunday. It's always a Sunday. Right. And guess when the Feast of Unleavened Bread took place that year? Three days after Passover. So Jesus did raise on the first day of the week, and it says that in the Gospel of John. No one's arguing that. But Jesus is the first fruit. And it says that in the book of 1 Corinthians, that Jesus is our first fruit. Just like in the book of 2 Corinthians, it says Jesus is our Passover. It was all drawn a picture. So this is how it works. You said that Jesus was crucified on Passover, and we all agree with that. The Bible says that, I mean, so many times. So today as a Christian, if you wanted to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, when would you do it? That's easy. Three days after Passover. Wouldn't that be accurate? Right. Just go to Passover, count three days, voila, that's when he rose. But it just that's doesn't not happen to always nope. be on Sunday. <laughs> no, correct. It doesn't always be on Sunday. And not only that, did you know? that there are a lot of years where Easter happens before Passover? Well, how does that work out? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how Easter is not tied to the death, burial, or resurrection of Christ. It's tied to the lunar calendar. It's a pagan holiday that follows the moons. That's why Easter Easter can be over a month before Passover. It has a two-month window of when Easter can fall. It has nothing to do with Christ. We know when he died. He died on Passover. Three days later, we could celebrate his resurrection during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but we don't. Today, the sun's down, so it's over. Uh, For us, yesterday was the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The prior weekend, we celebrated Passover. That's why we were not on. Caleb and his family were celebrating a new baby boy. 
And me and my family uh, were having uh, Passover and celebrating the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Jesus is the Passover lamb. We know when he died and we know how long he was dead. He was in the tomb three days and three nights. It says that over and over again, just like the prophet Jonah, right? Three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So when should we celebrate the resurrection if we wanted to do it accurately? It's easy. Three days after Passover. That's not hard to do. Now, nobody does that because it has nothing to do with Passover. People celebrate a totally different holiday called Easter. Tell me if I lost you or if you think I lost no, anyone and I need to go back I, over that. I'm confident that you that you lost some people. It's interesting because I've never gone I've never really gone through uh, all the dates and looked over everything. And so here I have a picture that hopefully will help. Now this picture is going to be a little confusing for some folks because I'm using the days Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in a calendar form like you and I are used to. But you got to remember that the Jewish day starts at sundown. That's why Passover, you see, covers part of Wednesday and part of Thursday. That's our Wednesday and Thursday. So Wednesday at sundown starts the Passover and Passover goes until Thursday at sundown. So you see Wednesday, Jesus was uh, they met in the upper room. Then he was betrayed in the garden in the evening. Uh, Matthew 27, 1 talks about how he stood trial the next morning. That's over into Thursday. Then he was crucified. I'm sorry. Uh, then he um, was, uh, I, I, I mixed that up just slightly. He stood trial that morning, Wednesday morning. Uh, he was crucified, died, and was taken down before sundown and buried. And that's when the Passover starts, Wednesday at sundown. Passover went through the evening to Thursday and goes through Thursday until sundown on Thursday, which starts the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, remember, you can see that arrow there covers three days. The problem is people don't understand that Thursday starts on our Wednesday at sundown, so that when Jesus was put in the tomb after he was taken down from the cross, that's when it starts. He was in the tomb our Wednesday night, all of Thursday, all of Friday, and Saturday up to sundown. Jesus rose from the dead, what you and I would call Saturday night. But remember, after the sun goes down, it's technically Sunday on the Jewish calendar. And the Bible says he rose the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Now, on the Jewish calendar, you can see that you have the Passover. Then that first day, Thursday and half of Friday is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then you have a day off and you have the Sabbath. And then the day after the Sabbath is the Feast of Firstfruits. And that was when Christ's body was missing when they went to the tomb on Sunday morning. It was gone because he rose. So he was in the tomb three days and three nights. That's the way that you have the death, burial, and resurrection. And you can see how you know, you're the reason Christians have trouble with this is because they they constantly can't understand how days start at sundown. They don't start at midnight because we're using a Jewish calendar 
In the same way, Jewish calendars don't have 365 days. They have 12, 30-day months. And that's why, again, when people often try to count up days in prophecy, they're me messing it up and they, they can't understand. It's like, well, you're using a Gregorian calendar. It's not going to work. That's not what they used during the times of the Bibles, and that's not what the Jews use today. Does that picture help any, Caleb? And, and forgive Forgive me, all of you folks that are listening on Spotify or something. You know, it, I know these pictures don't help you at all. You can look us up on Facebook, find us on Bible Thumper. You'll find the video and you'll you'll see all this stuff. Now that we went over the calendar, can I show you the worst part about this? Caleb, this is the worst part. Yeah, I just wanted the to say one one thing. Oh, jump real, real in, man. Yeah, I, I'm talking so, too much. Jump in. Jump no, 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 in. you're good. I was just going to say, so a lot of Christians are like, hey, I, I got on here to talk about Easter, and now we're talking about <laughs> Passover. Isn't this Old Testament stuff? Why are we even talking about Passover? Are you guys even Christians? These two nut jobs on here that thump their Bibles are talking about the Old Testament. And so I just thought that I would mention that it, it's very important to realize how Passover ties in, and I think it's really cool how you put up that graph, how it ties in with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, because the whole reason of Passover was to point to Christ. Yes. He is He is our Passover lamb. So the idea of, and I was thinking this this morning in church, we had a great service, but mm -hmm. I was thinking it's it's amazing how how when you try to remodel a biblical holiday and turn it into something that God never said it should be. Mm -hmm. how meaningless it can really be compared to what it would be if you just do, Hey, this year, what if we try doing what the Bible says? Oh man. <laughs> so it's, it's really cool. I've been, I've gone through this, this year during Passover and the feast of unleavened bread, my daughters and I, we read two chapters every night out of Exodus. And of course that was about all we did. We didn't actually eat unleavened bread or do, mm -hmm. do any of the things that we should be doing to actually really observe it. But I want them to know the story and, I think that it's 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 crazy how we've lost this connection in Christianity of of really what this was. And Jesus was in the middle of this whole. Pa I mean, the whole society, the culture that he was around, they were immersed in Passover when he died. It had to be mm -hmm. very very real to them, to the Jews at the time, that that this this Jesus that now the, this gospel that's being preached about Jesus being. Um, there, my camera went away. You probably still got my audio. Yeah, uh, Jesus do. being um, raised on the on the third day and the first fruits that would have meant something to them. That for a lot of people now, this all just goes right over our heads because it's totally foreign to us. This mm -hmm. whole idea of uh, these these Jewish feast days it almost can sound like a slap in Jesus's face to say, "Hey, if you're a Christian, uh, how could you dare go back and observe an Old Testament holiday?" So we had just read um, the other day, and this was interesting when my daughter read this, Megan was reading. I'm just going to read out of Exodus chapter 12 for a second here, and then you can go wherever you're going to go with it. So then Moses mm -hmm. called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel on the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning for the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. 
I don't know how how you can translate forever to mean anything else other than forever. But this is a this is a very powerful picture of how salvation works. It doesn't matter how perfect the people were in the house; they had the blood on the door. And this is a, this is a this is a symbolism of the way that the blood of Jesus is for us. And to me, the observance of the Passover with as Christians with Jesus being the Passover lamb is a way more powerful thing than trying to somehow tie Easter bunnies in to, you know, <laughs> singing some songs on Sunday morning about the resurrection and dressing up nice for church and going back home and having ham and whatever all you eat at the house and some leavened bread. It's just really interesting how how we've lost really the true meaning of what what was really going on and what Jesus was experiencing and and really what it was like to to partake of communion with Jesus around the table that last supper compared to compared to what it is now. So anyways, I just wanted to bring that in since you're bringing this visual in. I think Jesus is it's not that that Passover is an is is not a Christian thing or that it's anti-Christian to observe Passover. Jesus is immersed in the Passover celebration. The Passover ce celebration was always to point to Christ. And so when we just throw that away and try to remodel it and turn it into something different, I think is actually more of a slap in Jesus' face than saying, let's go back to the Old Testament. That's it. Go ahead. So I'm just going to show everyone uh, this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 23. But now Christ, risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, afterward they are that are Christ's at his coming. So you can see that Jesus is the first fruits. And what's funny is, Almost no Christian you ever talk to has any idea what 1 Corinthians is talking about there because they have no idea what Leviticus 23 talks about and how it all ties together and how the calendar works. So you see that Jesus is our first fruit, and we also see that Jesus is the Passover. And I'm, I'm going to bring that verse up in a little bit, but I wanted to talk about something else. And this is, Caleb, this is hands down one of my favorite things to talk about when we're talking about. Easter. But before we do this, do you have a Bible in front of you? Like a leather bound book with paper? You don't? Okay, that's fine. I'm just going to read from mine. Do you have one on your phone? Oh, I'm, I've got on the computer. I've got it pulled up on my computer. Yeah. I got the digital Bible here. Go to Leviticus chapter 23 and go to verse 4. And I want you to notice something. And if you're at home, get out your Bible, go to Leviticus chapter 23 and go to verse 4. You need to see this, and I'm not going to expect you to believe it or obey it. I just want you to see it and read it. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4, what do those first six, seven words say, Caleb? These are the feasts of the Lord. These are the feasts of the Lord. Whose feasts are they? The Lord. They're the Lord's. Are they the feasts of the Jews? No, that's interesting. No, they're not. These are the Lord's feasts. Remember, we are monotheistic. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same God that is yesterday and today and forever. These are his feasts. That's why I celebrate them, because they're God's feasts. 
They're not emperor. Well, if they're not emperor Constantine's feasts. They're not emperor Theodosius's feasts. They're not some pagan feast that got brought in. Okay, these are the Lord's feasts. Now you could celebrate other holidays. I celebrate Thanksgiving. I think it's wonderful. I do the Fourth of July. We don't do Easter. We don't do Christmas. And I know you think I'm a weirdo because of that, and that's okay. I've been a weirdo my whole life. It's the only place I find comfortable anymore. Now, and it, that's that's interesting. If you read that verse in context, I always like to read a verse in context. Yeah. The only context that is there is verse after verse after verse is telling us. <laughs> and the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, yeah. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, Concerning the feast of the Lord, feast which of you the shall Lord. proclaim to be holy convocation, even these are my feasts. My feasts shall shall work be done but the seventh day is a sabbath of rest and holy convocation you shall do no work therein it is a sabbath of the lord in all your dwellings these are the feasts of the lord even holy convocations which ye shall proclaim and then it goes on even in the 14th day of the first month at even is the lord's passover so you're right it's not our day it's god's day okay caleb i'm gonna i'm gonna get into four bible verses go to acts chapter 12 you got to see this. It's so important, Christian, that you take a look at this. And again, I'm not expecting some great big Christian revolution oh, across America. We're going to look at where, where Easter pops up in the <laughs> you scripture got here it. in Acts. Do you know Wait, that what the, verse is this? Uh, Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Do okay. you know that the Bible talks about Easter? So let's take, let's right, take, you want me to read this? no, 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 no. I got this. Cause I okay. want to give a little bit of context and, and you oh, can, yeah, yeah, you ahead. can jump in. So understand we're in the book of acts. The Christian church is being persecuted by everyone that can get involved. Cause everyone's having a good time beating up on the Christians. And now it's Herod's turn. So in verse one, now about that time, Herod, the King stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So he killed <clears throat> one of the disciples. And now we're on to the next one. Because remember, at this time, Peter was arrested. It's hard to keep track. The guy gets arrested so many times. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Now, Caleb, what does the Bible say just happened? and was in the past Passover. Yep. Not only Passover, but the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember, Passover right. is day number one. Then days two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight are the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you have Passover, then you have a full week, which is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Caleb, does the Bible say that the Feast of Unleavened Bread were before this time and had just completed is that what the Bible says, or am I making that up? Then were yeah, the says, days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, so, right. so we agree the Feast of Unleavened Bread is done. So Passover was a week ago. Do we agree on that? Is that what the Bible says? Yeah, that, that seems like it says he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of Unleavened Bread. So I guess I guess it could... I guess it would mean it was in the past, unless it now, means these were. It seems like it would say if, these are the days of the unleavened even bread. Even if you want to say we're in the middle of the week of unleavened bread, which I'm fine with. I don't agree with, but that's fine. If you want to say that, what does that still mean about Passover? It's in the past. It's in the past. Because remember, Passover right. happens. 
then seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we all agree that Passover just happened. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Now let's go on to verse four. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after when? After, after Easter. Easter to bring him forth to the people. So then they deliver Peter to these soldiers and they say, we are going to bring him out after a date which is in the near future. And we're going to kill him on that day. Is that what it says? That Easter, Seems which is in the future, that's when we're going to kill him. Now, Caleb, let me ask you this. Why were they going to kill this Christian martyr, Peter, on a Christian special day? <laughs> is that what the pagans usually did? Obviously not. No. They killed people they didn't like on their holidays to make yeah, their like celebration special. Like John the Baptist on you Herod's birthday, it. right? John the Baptist on Herod's birthday. Now, Caleb, let me ask you this. Do you know what every single Bible other than the King James Bible says right here? It doesn't say Easter. I, I know Easter only pops up in the King James. Yep. Do you know? What I was wondering, are? is that a mis mistranslation? Nope. Do you want to know what the rest of them say? What do they say? They say Passover. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm going to bring up a picture here to help everyone out with. So now, Caleb, here's the question. If that word should really be Passover and not Easter, then we have a problem because you see Passover happened, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread happened, and then Herod says, hey, you know what we should do? We should throw Peter in prison and we should kill him on Passover. That would be fun. If that were the case, Caleb, how long was Herod going to wait to kill Peter? An entire calendar year. Is that what was taking place? No, it's not. Definitely not. They were not planning out their calendar a year from now to kill Peter on a special day of the Jews. They were planning on killing Peter on their special pagan holiday called Easter. What do you think of that? Well, it's interesting because I've read across that before. Never did the math. No, I never did the math on you it. You got to draw it but, out, man. You got to yeah, draw I mean, out that you, calendar. You definitely. I mean, I was always, I was always inter interested in the the story that that follows afterward. It's that's what caught my attention. But mm -hmm. hmm. yeah, it's really no. You're right. I mean, it, that, it, that the Lord whether it was in, in the middle. Whether it was in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Bread or yep. if it was at the end, mm -hmm. he then says we're going to put, put him in prison and keep him until, until Easter. Easter. And even if you right. want to say that the King James Bible's wrong and it shouldn't be Easter, it should actually be Passover, and I know so many people say that, Okay, then what you're saying is that Herod intended to keep Peter in jail for a year after being all excited about killing James. He's like, oh, that was great how we killed James. Now let's kill this other guy in a year from now and that's right. that's just not the case okay so caleb this is what it comes down to is you have the babylonian goddess ishtar and even the 
most casual Google search. <laughs> Every single history book known to man. You can look up the Babylonian gods, the Greek god Astarte, the Hebrew god Ashtaroth, and in our English, Easter. This, and you can look up this picture. You'll find it all over the internet right now. I would tell anyone, get on any website for some liberal tree-hugging, you know, witchcraft-oriented, pagan, moon-worshipping, sandal-wearing, you know, nut-job website, and you are going to see them worshipping that Babylonian goddess right now. It's all over the place. And it... And they're also all going to wish you a happy Easter, too, while they're at it. <laughs> it's Ishtar. It's Ishtar. It has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus. Now, do you know where it all came from? I feel like I'm hijacking this whole thing. I'm just talking way no, too no, much. Cool. Okay. You've, so, done, you've done your homework on it. Let, so. let me give you the short story for all of you that want to know the history of this. And check my facts, folks. I'm not... Don't believe me. I don't care. Do your own homework. Here's how it works. Christianity from the time of Christ on was persecuted by everybody, by the Jews, by the pagans, by the Romans. And we get the Roman Caesars and the 10 waves of persecution from everyone from Nero to Marcus Aurelius. And if you've ever studied early Christianity in the early church, you know about the horrible persecution that they were under. And they were under this persecution for a couple hundred years. So then what happened, and this is the big event for Christianity, and it's it's hands down the greatest thing the devil ever did to destroy the church and Christianity. What the devil could not do with attacks from outside the church, he was able to accomplish by corrupting it from within in a very short period of time. You have this emperor that comes on the scene named Constantine. Third century, Emperor Constantine does something that the Christians really appreciated. He made Christianity legal. So for the first time, Christians can now come out from their hiding and they can worship in the open. No more hiding in caves. No more worshiping at night in the dark. You can finally worship your God. It's legal to be a Christian. And it was a political maneuver. And there are stories about Constantine, how he got baptized at the end of his life or on his deathbed or whatever. And, you know, it, it's all nonsense. He was a sun-worshipping, you know, Babylonian God-worshipping Egyptian pagan. That that's, that's what he was. It, don't try to paint him as anything else. But what he did was he opened up Christianity and he, and he gave them this, this wonderful gift. Like I said, it was a political move. Then what happened was his successor, now not his immediate successor, but a few Caesars later, was an emperor named Theodosius. And this guy ruined Christianity. And what he did was he made Christianity mandatory. So now you have Rome. You have this great, massive territory filled with all these different nations and groups of people that worshipped all these different Babylonian pagan gods that were named different things through the years. 
And now it's mandatory that they all become Christian. Did they all throw away their idols and go running into the nearest river to get baptized and start worshiping the Lord Jesus? Is that what happened, Caleb? No. No, it's not. What happened was they brought all of their pagan practices in to what was now a state-run church. And thus you have Roman Catholicism. That is where it came from. Peter was not the first pope. That's not where it started. That's nonsense. It started when paganism was brought in and the Caesars, who were worshipped as gods for hundreds of years, were now the head, and they brought all the pagan practices in, and that's where Easter came from. The Christians went right back underground. They would not be a part of that, and they were hunted down and persecuted and executed again. Folks, I am seriously not asking one single person under the sound of my voice to believe a thing I just said. Do your own homework. When you do it, I would suggest you read the book, The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. That is one of the best books on the subject that explains in great detail and draws a line. You see the thread of paganism from Babylon all the way up to modern days and how it corrupted and infiltrated the church. Now, Caleb, have you ever heard that idea before or am I just crazy? No, obviously. uh, Well, if if any of y'all have missed our episode on Christmas. Some of this came up <laughs> in our previous episode on Christmas as well. And it, it it's very interesting to me how I've brought this up with some Christian friends of mine that we've discussed this idea of paganism and bring, being brought into Christianity. And nobody, not only are they unwilling to investigate it, they don't want to talk about it. And they, and they oftentimes are hostile towards somebody that brings this up. And the interesting thing is, is oftentimes it's dismissed by saying, oh, well, yeah, if you if you get on on the dark web, of course, you're going to find some conspiracy theories. And how, how, how do you know if you can believe that stuff? And so obviously, that's the importance of what Patrick just said. Do your own homework. There are credible, lots of credible sources, historical sources. Uh, you can go to pagan, the paganism itself and and find this history. It's not um, it's not something that Patrick just came up with because he hates Easter or Christmas. Uh, if you look up the word Easter in any reputable, respected uh, concordance or Bible dictionary, it will never tell you that it's a biblical day at all. It always goes back to the pagan origins of of Easter, and it's this is not these are not even disputed facts among Christian theologians, but it it does seem to be a disputed fact among the church. And it's simply because we, much like the Jews, are guilty of forsaking the commandments of God uh, to follow the traditions of man. And that's exactly what we've done here. So 
uh, I, I don't like this idea either. I wish that everything was just hunky-dory and that when you go to church on Sunday on Easter morning, that there's no problem with it. That would be nice. And it's really unfortunate that this got drug into it because Resurrection Day, I didn't. I wouldn't even have a problem with it being a couple days off, a week off, a month off. Sure. You know, if that was all, if that was the only problem with it. Of course, the reason to go through the detail of the dates that Patrick's taken us through here is important to understand the fact that Easter is in existence separate from Christianity, and then the two merge, and the dates don't coincide. They're completely separate dates, completely separate calendars, completely separate events. And then the Catholic Church merged the two. So this isn't, this isn't an attack on Catholicism. It's not an attack on Christian, um, a Christ, Christian traditions. It's just simply saying, actually, there was an attack on Christianity, and it happened a long time ago. And so if you look, up, if you look at the Bible and realize, as great and as wonderful as this, as this celebration seems, it's still not biblical, and it is pagan. Um, I have it pulled up here on the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, and I would just say, I'm not even going to go all the way through this and read it, but I would say, go to one of these, don't don't just type in on YouTube and find out, you know, the pagan origins of Easter or something and find non-credible sources. Don't listen to us even, but go to a, a Bible dictionary, go to the Bible itself and look up some of these uh, look up the word Easter and see it, it is exactly like Patrick said. If you go on any um, pagan website that discusses Easter, they will have the picture that he showed you and they'll have instructions for how to celebrate <laughs> Easter as a pagan. It's true. And they have, they have YouTube t- tutorials on, on YouTube showing you how to do it as well. <laughs> and it looks a lot like what we're doing. Unfortunately, <laughs> oh, we just cleaned it up. Caleb. We cleaned it up a little bit and we put Jesus in the middle of it. Caleb, I didn't even get into the. Re- Do you want to know the real ugly parts about it? Because I didn't even get yeah, into ahead. it yet. Okay. Let's go to Judges chapter 2, verse 13. And I'm saying that just for a reference for those of you listening at home okay. later. Judges chapter 2, verse 13. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. Huh. Who's Ashtaroth? Ashtaroth was Ishtar from the Babylonian goddess, and that's the way the Hebrews wrote it. Do you know that the Jews back in the Old Testament, when they forsook the Lord and worshipped pagan gods, that they were already worshipping this goddess? Now, Caleb, how did they worship Baal? What was the number one thing that we associate with Baal worship that was so horrifying that God himself said, I can't believe I had to write this down. Human sacrifice. Human sacrifice. Passing the children. You got it. Passing the children through the fire. We read about that again and again. Leviticus 18, 21, and thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord God. I am the Lord. Again, in 2 Kings 23, uh, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. Okay. So Caleb in ancient cultures, when they, they would set up an altar and they wanted more corn. So what would they pile up on the altar? Corn, corn right? And they'd light the corn on fire. And when they needed it to rain, what would they pour all over the altar? Water. Water. 
And when, they wanted to make babies. Yep. And when they wanted to make babies, what did they do? What did they kill and put on the altar? Their babies. More babies. Now, Caleb, do you know what they did with the blood of the children? Um, no. They were resourceful. They used it to paint things. Want to guess what they painted? No. They painted eggs and hmm. then they hung them in trees what do we do every easter caleb <laughs> fortunately i never did anything with easter eggs sure but yeah paint they're yep. all decorated we up paint the yep we paint the easter eggs and then we hide them that came from that pagan practice it was horrible now caleb i want to give you an idea and we I don't care that we're in a, at an hour. I still have some stuff I want to talk about. Yeah, go for and, it. And this stuff, it, it's just information that I've always wanted to get through. And some of you are going to stick with us. And, and, and honestly, if you're here this long, God bless you. You are interested and you're, you're curious. So, so you're still with us. Cause there's a couple things that I, that I wanted to get through in the Bible as far as common misconceptions and misunderstandings. And, and I, I usually don't have time to get into this when I do like a one hour, one hour lesson on this. Okay, Caleb, I want to run a scenario by give you an example in modern times. So Caleb, we really don't have like a leader of Christianity in the world, right? Like as far as here on earth, uh, we don't like have other, like, than the, other than the Pope. Yeah. You know what I you're mean? Not, like, you're not waking up in the morning and checking <laughs> to see what the Pope said last. No. So we don't really have that. Because Christian churches are supposed to be autonomous. They're, there's there's not yeah, because supposed we're to be not a ruling, cult. governing body above us. Yeah, we're just Caleb and his church you, do what they if want. If you're a Catholic or a Mormon, you or got it. Then you got whatever, a group that have, you got to be in yeah, lockstep with. And yet, you okay, you got it. You got to whatever. So now, follow me on this idea. Billy Graham, you know who he is, right? Okay. God rest his soul. He's passed on. And I love Billy Graham. I didn't agree with everything that he said, just like every Christian, but I love listening to Billy Graham. Okay. That guy, he, he was great. Outspoken, you know, for the gospel. So let's just use him as an example of kind of a spokesperson for Christianity in America today, even though I understand he has passed on. Okay. So let's say that, right. that Billy Graham sent a letter out to all the churches and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to start a new Christian holiday on the Chinese New Year. What would you think about that? It's a Christian holiday, Caleb. We're right. gonna, it's going to be Christian. And it's going to be Christian in the way we set off fireworks. And it's going to be Christian in the way that we make those big, long paper dragons that we drag down through parades in the street. And it's going to be Christian in the way that we honor the heavenly deities and our ancestors. <laughs> it's going to be Christian and in everything that we do. Okay, what do you think? Is that a good idea with that fly? Not impressed. Okay, you're you're not. I'm uh, not selling you. Right. 
Well, it would be best for them to try to <laughs> cram that down my throat if I was living in a communist state-run <laughs> state church government. But Caleb, I am telling you that it is going to be Christian, even though every single thing we're doing is what the pagan Chinese do every year on the same day. I'm telling you, it's Christian. Does that make you feel any better? <laughs> now, here's the crazy part. If we were to try that and get that going, we were to try to make that happen in America today, we would be laughed at by probably a good amount of churches, don't you think? They're like, what are you guys yeah. talking about? But you want to know something? If we got it to catch on with enough churches, about 1,500 years from now, you know what would be going on? We'd have some Chinese <laughs> Christian holiday. <laughs> and nobody would say a thing. The only reason that Easter isn't hotly contested today is because it's been going on for as long as we can remember. We did it. Our right. parents did it. Our grandparents did it. Their parents did it. So four or five generations back, that's all we've ever known. So it doesn't seem strange, but it is for no other reason than tradition. But that first year, it did not work out. Right. Let me tell you, Christians did not wholly adopt a pagan holiday and just call it Christian. The only difference between the ridiculous example I'm bringing up about making the Chinese New Year Christian and making Easter Christian is that my idea is new and the whole Easter thing has been going on for as long as we can remember. It's just as ridiculous. Right. Well, and see, a good example of something like this, people don't realize the power that the government church had over Christianity and how it held so many years of supposed Christianity hostage. Our history, our church history really was taken hostage for years. And then the Protestant church, unfortunately, drug a lot of it into the Protestant church with them, where true Christians of the time would have never gone along with some of this. And a good example of this would be recently there was a prayer that was given, I believe, in the House of Representatives and it was a, a pagan, some nut job, whatever, that offered this prayer. And at the end of the prayer, and he made it clear he was not, he was praying to some other deities, not just to God. But at the end of the prayer, he said some ridiculous thing like, a man and a woman. And plenty of Christians were outraged, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Christians are not, we're not going around and ado adopting this into Christianity. However, let's say that for the next hundred years, that the state-run church in America was forced to pray this prayer the way that they that the government says you pray it. This would become a part of Christianity, so to speak, even though Christians would reject it. But after a while, you have this completely ridiculous thing that's being brought in that has nothing to do with biblical historical Christianity that all of a sudden to our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, this would look like 
this is part of Christianity because this is what the state church in America does. This is how we pray before Congress. This is how we pray in church on Sunday mornings. We say this, you know, this extra thing that's been added in. Well, tradition is very, very powerful in that way. And Satan knows that. Satan knows how easily we will adapt to tradition rather than to truth. And so I, I honestly believe that as, as awful as this sounds, and I mean, I, I sat in church this morning with a lot of my best Christian friends that I know that I'm sure would, would, if I would have said this this morning in church, they would, um, they would, they would be appalled that such an abominable thing, such uh, heresy could be ever spoken within the, the walls of a church to say that I actually believe that Satan is the architect of Easter. But the, the, the fact is, and I'm not saying that you're Satan worshiping if you went to church this morning and, and observed Easter, but Satan wants to add to or diminish the truth of God's word. That's what he always does. He takes a little bit of the truth and he puts a whole bunch of lies in there with it and he waters it down to the point that it's no longer truth. And that's exactly what's happened with tradition in the church here. We've taken um, pagan uh, practices and we've brought it into our Christian worship. And it's scary when you think about it and that we're so comfortable with it and that we're so uncomfortable with the, the idea of breaking from this tradition. It is this tradition is more important to many of us than than our than our actual faith in Jesus. We would we would be more comfortable just going along with something even if we're told it's wrong. And I'm not saying that just because you observe Easter on Sunday that you're a Satan worshiping pagan by any means, but it is very alarming that we're so comfortable doing this. You know what is it just doesn't even surprise me anymore how much people resist this idea. Mm -hmm. Really, any idea that goes against what they're used to, they will fight tooth and nail to keep their tradition. And Caleb, I only wish that people would fight this hard to keep what the Bible says. Think of how right. pleased the Lord would be if we fought that hard to obey the word of God, boy, that would make them happy. I got more information, but we've been going at it for almost an hour and a half and I'm fine stopping now. The only other thing I was going to do was kind of go over a little bit of old Testament and give some ideas you know, about idolatry and the problems and where this all came from. And then also uh, dispel the idea of the Good Friday. Jesus was crucified on Friday. Do you know that when you go through the Bible, the only day he could not have been crucified was on Friday? Did you know that? You could make right. an argument. It had to have been Wednesday, but based off of. And if you wanted to make an argument for Thursday, mathematically, I could do it. But it is impossible that it was Friday for multiple reasons, all of which Jesus said. So I was kind of going to go into that, but really that was only to, you know, um, throw some more dirt in the eyes of uh, Catholicism, uh, which, I mean, I always, you know, enjoy doing, but that's mostly just for the sake of my family members and my good friends who keep putting up with me, no matter, no matter, <laughs> no matter how much I, uh, I go against <clears throat> the church of Rome. Okay. So 
Yeah, I've always. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no, no! Jump on in. Jump on in. No, I've always, I've always found it interesting how how comfortable we are with calling ourselves something other than Catholic, and then still uh, holding these as high holy days. I mean, I actually am more comfortable as 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 wicked and demonic as it is. I'm actually more comfortable with Halloween than I am with Christmas or Easter, because at least with Halloween, they took it a terrible day. They tried yeah. to make it better by mixing saints in with it, all hallowed saints day or whatever they did there. But yeah. at least they didn't drag Jesus into the middle. Yeah. Of the thing. They mean, at <laughs> least left it a pagan holiday about monsters and they just added candy. <laughs> so <laughs> It's like, at least and, we and know what is- we're getting into. The thing that sucks about it with being Christmas and Easter is the fact that all of us, Patrick and I included, are big fans of the fact that Jesus, I mean, Jesus's birth, being born of a virgin, the Christmas story, as Mm -hmm. we know it, is a very powerful story. The Easter story, so to speak, is a very powerful story there. I mean, I've noticed a lot of people tending to and I think it's a it's a cool trend among Christians to start saying happy resurrection day Mm -hmm. on Sunday rather than happy Easter. Yeah. Because that's more that's more something I can rally behind. I'm like, yay, let's let's go for a resurrection day. Let's leave Easter out of it. I won't say and either. obviously <laughs> Well no, and I understand. But I'm I, I realize that we're so we are so comfortable with these holidays and it just is mind boggling to me how how it is I mean I've I've honestly had very confrontational uh, conversations with friends of mine that that blasted me because I didn't have a Christmas tree in my house and that oh, I yeah. believed that a Christmas tree was pagan yep. and and they are all over me because I am just this radical trying to find the devil under every rock that I can find or whatever and you yeah. know that you know that 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 whole thing is not true and that it has nothing to do with paganism or whatever and I'm like well yeah whatever preacher told you that I'm glad that <laughs> glad that he was able to make you sleep good at night after you <laughs> bowed down to your, your Christmas tree but the thing is is like it doesn't matter what your pastor says or what your tradition says what yep. the Bible says is is actually very damning when you look at at trying to say all right we're, we're gonna go into this we're gonna go into this uh land of the Gentiles here. We're going to go into this pagan nation, this pagan uh, culture, Mm -hmm. and we're going to clean it up by just calling it, like Patrick said, it would be like saying, all right, we're going to take some Chinese holiday, Chinese New Year or whatever, and we're going to call it a Christian holiday. It doesn't matter if you call it Christian or not. It's still, we're we're doing exactly what God over and over again warned us not to do. And then we see how bad it went for them when his people chose to do these pagan rituals and these pagan holy days. You know, when you go and honestly, Caleb, every single person that argues with me about uh, Christmas or Easter, none of them are students of the Old Testament. They're not. I have never met an Old Testament scholar that was in in favor of uh, Christmas and Easter because all you read about is paganism and idolatry, which God hates above everything else. Do you know that that's why when you read through the first or or I'm sorry, when you read through the Ten Commandments, what are the first commandments all about? It's about paganism. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. You will not make any. You will not bow down to the gods that other people make. You will not. God hated idolatry because it was taking credit for what he deserved the glory for. And anyone that reads through Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and studies the Old Testament, and for crying out loud, has anyone read First and Second Kings? I mean, that's all the whole thing was, was about God hating right. idolatry and, and how, and how much he hated it. And, 
And when you run into that and you see that, you think to yourself, wow, God hates it so much. I really uh, need to not have any idolatry or paganism in my life. And then when you get around to things like this, it's, uh, it's scary to me. Do you know that there is only one Sunday a year where I will not let my family go to church? I mean, I guess that's Easter. Easter. Yep. Nope. Not doing it. We're going to take the day off. We can do whatever we want, but we will not go to church on Easter Sunday. I forbid it. And let me tell you, depending on the church that maybe you are radical. (laughs) I never said I wasn't. And depending on the church we visited, I'll tell you what, some of these churches a month out are asking the kids, oh, what are you going to wear? And are you going to be here? And we're going to have pictures with the Easter money and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and the, and man, we have some tears in my house when we tell the kids that we're not going. And it's like, sorry, I'm not going to be a part of it. When you kids grow up and leave my house, you can worship the devil any which way you choose, (laughs) but not in my house, buddy. And, you know, when we read through the Old Testament, and I'm just going to rattle off, actually, I'm just going to copy and paste them just to give everyone a couple things to read, you know, because heaven forbid we go through any uh, Bible here. Okay. So, and it is, you you do believe it's okay for Christians to read the Old Testament? (laughs) (laughs) Just checking. (laughs) Okay, in Deuteronomy 12 starting in verse 30 in 2 Kings 17, 15, and in Jeremiah 10, 2, we read, the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them, talking about the pagan nations around them. When you read about Joshua going into the land of Canaan, they were told, you are to destroy everything that is not of God. You are not to marry their daughters. You are not to allow your daughters to marry their sons. And the reason was only one again and again and again. They will turn your heart from following me. They will get you to worship their pagan idols. They will get you to worship their false gods. So you are not to marry them. You are not to do like they do, period. Anything you see them do, you are not to do it. Their lifestyle is supposed to look so different than yours that you are supposed to stand out as unique as strange. The New Testament word is peculiar. You are supposed to be different from the world and all the pagan practices that go on. You are not supposed to try to Christianize them. Friends, there is no Christian whiskey. There is no Christian cigarettes. We cannot Christianize pornography. It does not exist. We cannot Christianize paganism. We cannot Christianize idolatry. The Lord Jesus hates it, hates it. And we must stop. We must stop, turn from it, never go back to it again. That is what God calls us to do. You say that's too radical of a change. Well, heaven forbid that you do anything radical for the Lord Jesus. All he ever did was die for you. And we can't give him one Sunday. So you see how I started off nice. And now that we're getting into it, I just don't even care. I'm so upset. Well, I was just, I was just, it was interesting how you decided to pull out those verses that just seemed to say to have nothing to do with it. I was wondering if you could find a couple of Old Testament passages where it gives instructions for if you are going to go ahead and embrace the pagan traditions around you, how oh, to kind of yeah. meet them halfway. This is how the to way meet them, to like, clean halfway. it up. Yeah. Okay. So right. let me, 
Yeah. Let me turn, follow me in the old Testament to the book of second opinions, chapter 12, <laughs> and we'll read about how God said to clean up paganism and idolatry and right. to Christianize it. And this is these, the, here's your, here's your 10 steps to how to Christianize paganism found. And the interesting thing is, is this is thought to be, I mean, you, you are thought to be the most crazy maniac, mm -hmm. you know, screaming, yeah. um, Bible thumping, screaming Baptist, whatever you want to call yourself over there, because you Amen. are proclaiming bombastically that people should stop celebrating a Christian holiday yep. like Easter. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is when you mentioned Kings, neither of us are saying you should go out and start burning the, burning down their high places and, mm -hmm. and chopping their heads off. <laughs> but in the Old Testament, it was so serious yeah. that they were they were radically trying to eliminate this stuff from around them. Not only were they not participating in it, they were going and they were trying to put an end to it because it was such an abomination to God. Okay. So Patrick and I, neither of us are saying, go and find yeah. the, the closest church that you can and burn it down on, yeah. on Easter when they're in nope. their wor worshiping. Yep, didn't <laughs> we're say that. We're not suggesting that. <laughs> but the, the idea is to just simply... Leave this out of yeah. your Christian life. That's it. Just just drop the paganism yep. part and just drop and, con and continue on with Jesus and with the blood of Jesus, just like like we all agree on. But yep. just maybe don't just don't muddy it up with you know some uh, nice little pagan sprinkles here and there throughout the year where we just add this in. It's easy to important. do, right? So Caleb, the Bible says. <clears throat> If someone comes up to you and says, hey, let's go into the next town and let's worship some of their pagan idols. We'll do it secretly at night, but let's go try it. What was your responsibility in the Old Testament if you were a Jew in the Old Testament and someone came and enticed you? Put them to death. Now, was that after yeah. a trial with three witnesses? No. Nope. It was right then and there. As far as I not know. Even, not supposed to even entertain the thought. Nope. It was, all right, that's, that's it. what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep the secret between me and you and the fence post. Boom. That, as far as I know, it was the only time when there was not to be a trial when someone was yeah, trying to entice someone else into paganism, when someone was trying to get someone to worship a false god, they were to fall on them with their sword and kill them right away. And if you want to hear more about that, you can go back to one of our previous videos or podcasts about Hanukkah. And we go over the story and we talk about the Maccabean revolt. And that was exactly what happened when someone came to fall down and worship the pagan. Uh, idol that Antiochus Epiphanes ordered to be set up all throughout Israel. Um, the priest, who I think was Matthias, mm -hmm. said, "Yeah, because then it was his yep, son that was the Maccabees." Said, "Nope, I've had enough." And as soon as the man came forward to worship that idol, he just drew out a sword and boom, killed him. And then they killed everybody that came from the government that Antiochus Epiphanes sent. And they said, choose you this day who you will serve, okay? Because me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And uh, boy, that story gives me chills every time I read it because there was a guy that was serious about following the Lord. And, you know, nowadays we're, we're, in a, we're in a different place. 
I mean, it, you know what's funny, Caleb, is that was what you were commanded to do in order to be obedient to God. That was what was required. Right. What are you and I asking Christians to do? Just simply saying, just don't go there. <laughs> all, we're, all we're asking you to do is leave the paganism out of your life. Could you imagine a time in history when you could be called upon? It was just a Tuesday morning and you were heading to work. You weren't thinking you were going to have to take out your sword and start killing people that were worshiping idols. But that was your job to be an obedient <clears throat> servant of the Lord back in the day. And nowadays, all it, it, it takes, it's unbelievable what it takes to be obedient to God. And, and when you even suggest it, uh, you're the crazy person. All right, man, we're at an hour and a half plus. I don't know if we helped anyone out or did any good, but I sure had fun yelling and screaming and throwing a fit for a little while. So, <clears throat> folks, please uh, follow us every Sunday night here at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central on Facebook. And we have a live video podcast where you can comment and ask questions and joke around with us like a lot of our friends do. Uh, you can find us facebook.com slash Bible Thumper 1611 or hashtag Bible Thumper 1611. I don't remember which. And you can search for us on Spotify and Google Play and you can listen to these podcasts as often as you like. We ask that you would download them, listen to them, and please share them around to help get this message out. Tell your friends if you want to hear marginally correct Bible teaching presented poorly, you can get it here every week at Bible Thumper. We had a, a, a comment here. I won't actually read it word for word because some Christians would get on me for using foul language on uh -oh. our podcast. But uh, somebody said that they that they feel like uh, junk. I'll just say junk, having mm -hmm. celebrated a pagan holiday this morning. Um, and so I just wanted to bring that up for those of you. We did wait to have this uh, until Sunday night, and that just happened mm -hmm. to work out with our schedules. But it's not like we're here to make anybody feel bad for the fact that you went to church this morning. The the beautiful thing about the blood of Jesus is that it does cover our sins. And, and I believe that it is a sin to, to uh, worship pagan gods. It would be a sin, in my opinion, to knowingly do something that goes against the Bible. And I have come to the conclusion that for me, uh, for me to wish somebody a happy Easter or to go and do most of the Easter things that happen around Easter time would certainly be a sin. I, I'm not sure if you would agree with this or not, Patrick, but I certainly think that people could comfortably go to church on Sunday morning if their church wasn't, um, you know, on, on Easter Sunday, if their church wasn't teaching something that was out of, you know, out of a biblical context or teaching an Easter tradition. Yeah. There are some churches, though, that actually will dedicate Halloween and, and Christmas and uh, Easter are are really they go out on a limb it's not like they just read the the resurrection story out of the bible that morning or they sing a song about the resurrection but they have easter egg hunts and they yeah. they really pull a lot of these traditions in they'll have trick-or-treating you know dressing up trick-or-treating where the church sanctions these things yeah and so that of course is i'm guessing why you patrick don't go to church on on easter sunday is because the churches that you could go to are going to be out there promoting Easter, right? Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, you know, and, and, and really Caleb, most of them, most of them call it resurrection Sunday instead of Easter Sunday. And for me, I won't even put up with that. I'm like, eh, he didn't raise it today. Sorry. 
you know, I don't know what to tell you, but that's not what it happened. So stop telling me right. that, you know, especially, you know, there, there, there is no excuse for any pastor to have an Easter Sunday service and call it resurrection Sunday. You are intellectually dishonest. You know, it didn't happen that day. You know, stop teaching people that it did take the time to teach the people the truth. There's a concept. No, there's no problem with going to church any Sunday. There's no problem going to church any one of the 365 days of the year. The only reason that we don't do it is because we can't get away from all the Easter nonsense. It's the same way. Caleb, I've said the same thing. I will not go to a church if there's a Christmas tree there. As soon as that time of year comes around, if there's a Christmas tree, nope, we're going to go visit somewhere else. We ain't doing it. You know, we'll be back second week in January or whenever it is, you know, but we're not doing it. And we don't celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Hanukkah. We don't, we don't do Christmas. And again, for us, there's no problem with going to uh, church during that time of the year. Caleb, there's nothing wrong with singing uh, all the hymns about the birth of Jesus. What bothers me is that we only sing them for like two, three weeks a year. And they're good songs, right. you know, and there's nothing wrong with singing those. Jesus was born and the angels sang that day. It was a good day. But the problem, you know, right. the problem is it, it gets mixed up with paganism and that that's what I don't like. And, and there are churches that are aware of this and there's lots of churches that don't do anything around, you know, these times, um, you know, our home church, we don't even bring it up. Now, I do bring up all the feast days of the Lord, and we talk about them, and we teach them, and we explain how those point to Jesus and how those have to do with the important times in the life of Christ, and and the people love it. So anti-Christian. Oh, I know. So anti-Christian. You're going back to the old feast days again. <laughs> going back to the Bible and <laughs> teaching parts of the Bible. You know, and so, no, I mean, it's it's not like it's a bad thing if a Christian shows up at a church on Easter Sunday. The problem is you're going to hear lies. You're going to hear misinformation. You're going to hear garbage. That's the problem. And if you run it, go ahead. Have you ever run into this problem where as soon as people find out that you actually try to practically take God's word at, at his word, mm-hmm. God at his word, so to speak, and, mm-hmm. and follow it. So you end up doing something that's in the old Testament. And pretty soon all of a sudden they're like, wait, are you, are you Jewish? Are you, uh, are you still a Christian? When did you, when did you deconvert from Christianity? We, we actually went this last week. Um, we, we tried, we, we had our, our first son, our son was born and, mm-hmm. uh, we got three girls and now we got a boy and he was born in the hospital. We tried to do a natural birth through a birth center. We've tried with all of our children and we ended up transferring into the hospital with all but one because mm-hmm. of complications. And so of course we're in the hospital and they ask the question, are you going to circumcise your son? Mm-hmm. And of course my answer is yes, yes. we are going to circumcise. Yes, we will. And they're like, all right, do you want to do that now? And they're like, we're like, no, we we're going to do that on the eighth day. Mm-hmm. And of course they all look at you like, you know, laughing at you because why would you, why would you do it? Why then I'm like, well, wait. because God, God, for the most part, I didn't even waste my breath trying to explain no. uh, later on as more nurses would come on their, their shift or whatever. And they would, they would ask the question. I would just say, no, we're not, we're not getting it done here. We're getting it done somewhere else. Yeah. But we looked around and it was hard to find somebody. And I went through, uh, we had his three day checkup at a local clinic 
And um, I talked to them and they could have done a referral to somebody that could have done the circumcision, but it would have been two weeks out. And I said, no, I need it to be done this Thursday because that's the eighth day. Mm -hmm. And so we finally found somebody that would do it. Well, it was through the birth center. We we knew that she could, but we'd have to drive to Dallas. Mm -hmm. So we drive to Dallas. She does the circumcision and we, we get to visiting and um, I find her on Facebook and look her up. And I noticed that her bio on Facebook is, it says, not a messianic Jew. <laughs> her, 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 when you look in her about information on Facebook, it says that she's a Christian, but she had to specifically say, I'm not a messianic Jew, just simply because she actually supports doing something that even, even though circumcision isn't that radic- radical for our, I mean, it's the statistics in America is like 86% of males are circumcised. Sure. So it's not that, it's not that culturally radical of a thing to do here in America, but for to find somebody that actually follows along and does something biblical and she actually tries to do it on the eighth day in a biblical way mm-hmm. and so to find somebody that actually does something biblically of course we had to have a woman do it which that's not really biblical i guess but i wasn't going to try to get out my pocket knife and do it because i wasn't sure what i was doing so anyways it was it's interesting to me and i i started kind of chuckling when i saw that I, I read it to my wife and i was like this is really interesting because this is the way i feel when i when i when people find out how i believe on things just because i believe what the Bible says and do what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Most Christians look at me like, oh, well, you're not really a real Christian. You must be Messianic Jewish or mm-hmm. you're just Jewish or you're just really screwed up in the head <laughs> or something. And yeah. it's, it's weird when you think about it that it's become foreign to just obey the Bible and do what the Bible says because we adhere to our culture and our traditions. And that it's it's scary. But I wonder, I wonder sometimes if our culture and our traditions really are our religion more so than the Bible being, you know, our guide. Yeah, honestly, Caleb, I, I'm I'm just about totally tired of trying to explain who or what I am. Because after talking to people for more than a minute, they're looking at you like you have three heads and they can't understand any of it. And they're like, so what are you? And I'm like, I'm really just a Christian. Like, that's it. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and his work on the cross is what you know, uh, can pay for my sins. He shed his blood. I put my faith in him and I read the Bible and that's it. You know, I got baptized. Like the Bible said, just pretty much, you know, read the Bible. When I come across something that says to do, we try to do it. And when we come across stuff, it says not to do, we try not to do it. And we don't care what anyone says. I think that's the big one right it, if you can get well, over your in-laws and your family giving you a hard time you're going to make it but if you can't stand up to the pressure just be a pathetic no you know nonsense kind of do whatever they say christian and don't read the bible your life will be so much easier if you just ignore the bible completely if you don't have the backbone to stand up to you know, the people that you love, uh, you, you ain't going to make it. <laughs> you're just, you're going to, you're going to be celebrating Christmas till the day you die. Don't even try, don't <laughs> even try to stop. It is not going to work. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's certainly worth a shot to try to try to go back to the Bible and say, Hey, let's set all this other stuff aside and, and just go back to the Bible and, and, and try doing that. It's, yeah. it's interesting because if you look at baptism, that's one day in a in the, in the life of the Christian. It's really like five minutes. Scripture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's other days in scripture, like 
like Passover, which if you go back, I think last year, didn't we do an episode on Passover? I think we did. I believe we did. I, yeah. So anybody that's listening, go back and listen to our episode last year from Passover. That was y'all. You guys had celebrated Passover for the first time last year. Is that correct? No. You brought the uh, lamb and it killed it. Well, that was the first time we did that. Yeah. So we actually brought, we got a lamb, we brought it in on the 10th day, kept it and fed it and named it and pet it and killed it and butchered it and ate it. So we did the whole thing and we don't do that every year. You know, most years we just get lamb or goat from a butcher. We, we did that last year because I wanted to do the whole thing, like the Bible said, for the purpose of a teaching tool. And it was amazing. Making your kids cry. Oh, right. It was hands down the best Passover I'd ever been a part of. And we're probably going to do it again. I was talking with my wife about it. We're probably going to bring in the lamb and do the whole thing. Maybe, I don't know, once every five years or six years or seven years or something, you know, often enough where all the kids can get to experience it because I believe it is a valuable teaching tool, but yeah, don't, think that we kill our own goat or lamb every year because it's just a lot of work and you know and man it is expensive they take advantage of you you know i mean they really do it's like come on prices of sheep tend to go up right around that time of year spending 200 plus dollars on a lamb where you're gonna get 20 pounds of meat it's like guys you know give me a break So, no, it is, you know, it's not worth the whole thing. Well, I thought it was I thought it was an intriguing story as Patrick was telling me about it last year and how his children really got the concept of, mm-hmm. you know, I, if I remember right, one of your children asked you, like, what did this lamb do wrong or something like that? And the yeah. idea of them actually seeing this 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 innocent lamb being losing its life, shedding its blood and and the the parallel between that and Jesus to me, it's, it's a powerful thing. And it's, it's unfortunate that we as Christians tend to be, you know, like Patrick said, you know, he's a normal Christian. He was baptized like everybody else. He believes in Jesus like everybody else, but he's, he's able to, by just walking in obedience to God, he's able to experience things that I've, I still have never experienced. We've never, um, we've never done the Passover as in, in my opinion, my wife and I are still waiting to have our first real Passover with our kids. Every year at Passover, we read the Passover story to our children. Um, and during the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you know, that whole week, we'll, we'll read. Uh, I think last year we watched some movies. This year, I, I like some Passover movies. This year, I tried to be a little bit more uh, just straight out of the Bible with it because my kids are, are reading now and it's fun to see them read the story for themselves. And that to me is the, probably one of the most important things of the, of the Passover tradition is passing this down to your children so that they know, you know, that they're aware of this story. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's really interesting how when we choose not to walk in obedience to God and something like this, and we it, and we come up with our own thing to do instead and go off whoring after other gods, as the Old Testament would say, um, we we really cheat ourselves out of some intimacy with God. To me, prayer is when I talk to God, but when I listen to God, when I hear from God, is when I open His Word and when I do what He says, and that's when I actually experience God in my life. Him speaking to me is through His Word. And his word comes alive when when you observe these feast days. And I, I thought it was just powerful when when Patrick mentioned to me what, how his children had reacted to seeing this lamb, getting attached to it, killing the lamb, and um, 
and quite frankly, I'm not sure that I'm emotionally ready to do this. <laughs> it's more convenient for me just to go get some lamb from the store and not really do, yeah. not and, really do the, the the whole feast thing. Just you know, kind of do it a little easier version of it. <laughs> but, yeah, and I honestly, I don't see that you're missing out or you're doing it wrong. If you, if you know, if to anyone that is thinking about starting getting into the feast days and doing them, believe me, there's a lot to it. I learn more and more every year. We are in no way experts on any of it and some of it you find is just unbelievably impractical when you look at the lifestyle of the jews in the old testament and you know our lifestyle today i mean it is it is not easy to stick to these things and they're all over the map as far as the calendar goes and they're always coming up at a bad time and you know but but like Caleb said, um, going through and doing them has really, it's been a great thing for us. And <clears throat> okay, I'm going to tell you this. I want your opinion and your thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. The more weird I get and the more straight down the line, strict, literal, Bible thumping guy that I am, the more I find Christians respect me and want to know about my walk with the Lord. And don't get me wrong. At first it's like, you know, you're pinning their ears back and they're, I mean, they've never heard any of this and it's weird, but the longer I do this, people watch you and they're interested and they want to know why. And you're really able to affect people's lives for doing nothing more than what the Bible says to do. And people right. just, they don't know what to say or do when they experience that because they don't see it anywhere. Well, <clears throat> Christianity in America today is public school. We find the lowest common denominator and we slip right into what they do. And that's it. And we all just get homogenized and, and we're all just lukewarm, boring mush. And you do that for a couple months, and all of a sudden you couldn't imagine doing anything else. And then when you run into someone that is really, they're not trying to rock the boat. They're not trying to make everyone mad. All they're trying to do is read the Bible and do what it says and not do what it says not to do. And that's it. And when these people run into that, it's so weird. And Caleb, I don't know if this is true, but I have a feeling that the way we're doing it, the weird, literal Bible thumping way, I have a feeling that's the way God wanted us to be. Okay. You ready for this? Here's a question for you. Let's see how boned up you are on your Bible knowledge. The nation of Israel they're in Israel. Joshua brings them in. They go through Joshua. They go through judges. And then they're done with mm -hmm. the judges, and they want their first king. Now, they weren't supposed to have a king. <clears throat> they are supposed to have judges. And they said, no, we want a king because why? The nations around us. The nations around them had it. And God said, all right, here's your king because you've rejected yep. me. They said, we want to be like everybody else. That's what they said. Yep. Do you know the reason 
that the Jews wanted to follow all the other nations around them? Now, this is implied. It is not explicitly said. But when you read through the whole Old Testament, it is clear they got tired of being different. Right. They were different in the God they worshiped. They were different in the clothes they wore. They were different in the way they conducted business. They were different in the way that they got married and raised their family. They were different in everything. The way they, the way they went to everything. war. Everything. And they got tired of standing out and looking like a sore thumb and being the weirdo at every turn. And they said, you know what? We're just... We're just tired of it. We just want to be like all these other nations. But God knew that if they went down that road, they would end up worshiping their pagan gods as well. They didn't care. They were tired of it. And I get it. It is a lot of work to keep fighting everybody. It is a lot of work to be this mean right? all the time. <laughs> Do you know how much easier life would be if you just did what everyone else did and forgot about what the Bible said, ah, who cares? I don't need to read the Bible. I get a little message on a Sunday. That's all that I need. I'll get a little more next Sunday. Oh, okay. Well, it's mother's day. Okay. Let's clap for all the moms. Congratulations. We got your flowers. Oh, it's Easter. Okay, great. Little girls are in the dress and the Easter bunny's getting the picture taken and there's some eggs and candy somewhere. Oh, okay. Oh, it's Christmas time. We're going to sing these carols and, you know, it's so easy to just be a brainless, you know, zombie of a Christian where you just go along with the herd and don't ever read the Bible and think for yourself. And, and I mean, I'm, you know, kind of being a little antagonistic now with the folks that celebrate okay. Easter. But, but I want to I want to bring something up because you just said something that I is oftentimes alarming to me when I hear us when I listen to our podcast episodes. Yeah. Oh, that like bothers afterward? Me, that we bring up. Yeah, afterwards okay. sometimes I listen to our it? episodes, uh -huh. and I wonder if if we come off to the average person as these two cocky guys that are saying to always, <laughs> always question the elders of your church. Don't uh -huh. go along with everything your pastor says. Don't do it just because that they're doing it. And so, since you brought that up, I'm gonna. I'm going to actually pull this up real quick. This is Here we go. Jesus. This is Jesus's attitude on it. And this is going to be, uh, I, we're at two hour mark here. So it's I'm going to leave be with radical. This. Oh, you're fine. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it here. So then the Pharisees, Caleb, this is, we, we still have eight listeners two hours okay. in complaining about Easter. These people are dedicated. You bring up whatever you want. They're here. Well, Travis is here because he says that it makes him not feel so crazy anymore. <laughs> I think the moral of the story, Patrick's trying to say, it's it's all right to be like my my radical, crazy friend in Colorado that uh, celebrates the or observes the the feast days. So here we have in Matthew chapter fifteen, verse one. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, "Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat." He answered them and. He said, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So here, the, here is, it, it, this reminds me of another Christian coming up to you saying, hey, why are you breaking the tradition of our church? This is the standards that our church is. Why are you breaking the tradition of our elders? And Jesus uh -huh. is like, hey, tell me this. Why are you breaking the commandment of God 
Mm-hmm. And that's really that's really the big question here is is if your question as a Christian is why would I break the the tradition of the elders? Why would I pr- break this tradition? God looks at you and he says, but why would you break the tradition of God? So he says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the, so I, I misquoted that a second ago. I said the tradition of God. It's not a tradition. It's a commandment. He says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, for this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This was Jesus saying, hey, when you follow along with these traditions, you're disobeying God. So you, mm-hmm. you can't have it both ways. Either you follow the traditions of man or you obey the commandments of God. And here was a very great tradition that they thought they had started where they tell people, hey, if you give all your money to the temple and you give it all up as an offering, then you can just turn around and tell your parents, sorry, I can't help you because I already gave everything that I had to the priests. And and he's saying, no, you're hypocrites. And Isaiah well prophesied of you saying that you honor me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me because um, it's in vain that you worship me. You are teaching as doctrines, the commandments of God when he is clearly um, he's clearly commanded us, you know, as families to take care of our, our, you know, to honor our father and mother to take care of our own. And so he was talking about this neglect issue here, but it's this, it gets at the heart of this issue where, where Patrick is saying, Hey, don't just go along with it because your pastor says it. it's not that I don't hey, I have anything against your pastor. I don't think pa- Patrick does either, but it's, I don't know who it's your a, the problem. Is. <laughs> the problem is when you start following traditions of the elders rather than the commandments of God, that becomes a problem. And Jesus took this head on and said, Hey, why would you even ask such a stupid question? I don't care if they follow the tradition of the elders. What about the commandments of God? And that's really what Jesus would say about Easter, I believe. He'd, he'd be like, who cares about Easter? Just quit it. And, Why don't you, you try know, obeying me? <laughs> <laughs> when you read through the New Testament, you you find that group, the Pharisees, and and boy, those guys, those poor guys, they had <laughs> to be a Pharisee in the generation before Jesus, man, that would have been the life. But to be born and to grow up and to become a Pharisee in Jerusalem when Jesus was around, I mean, man, you just oh, hated to see that guy coming down the road because you knew you were going to you know, get what for. And Jesus even brings it up several times where he says, these guys are the example. You need to do what they say. It was unbelievable when you read those portions in the Bible, because it's like, well, Jesus, aren't you the guy that's just constantly telling them that they're hypocrites and, you know, they're just, it's full of nonsense. And it's true that there were so many things that they were doing, but they changed it a little bit. And they, so all of a sudden it, it came from a place of obedience to God, but it hadn't been there in a while. It changed over. And, and Caleb, I don't know if I ever went over with you the different stages of Judaism and how that worked. See, you had, you had the original Mosaic Judaism. So you had the Jews in the Old Testament that followed the law of Moses. Then what you found is you had another group 
of Jews that came up, and this was far in the future, and this was the group of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And these guys weren't strict adherers to the law. They were strict adherers to the law when it suited them. And when it didn't, they right. changed it just a little bit, and they required people to follow them and their traditions rather than just following the word of God. And this is the time that Jesus showed up. Then after that, about 35, 40 years after Jesus died, was buried and resurrected and ascended into heaven, the Roman armies under Titus Aspasia came in and sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD and they leveled the city. Okay. Burned down and destroyed the temple. I mean, just killed everybody. It was a nightmare. So then what happened is you had the Jews that kind of fled from Jerusalem with good reason. I mean, it was, a, you know, it was a bloodbath. And then you end up with what was called Talmudic Judaism. Because you see, the problem was, for the longest time, they all went to Jerusalem three times a year for the different feasts, for uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and for Yom Kippur, and for um, uh, Pentecost. And that was the thing that they did. But now all of a sudden the temple's gone. So now what do we do? We don't have a temple. We don't have a priesthood. We don't have, I mean, we can't do anything in the Old Testament. So then they come up with the rabbinical leaders who write extra biblical books called the Talmud. And these are writings that the Jews adhere to and they take them above uh, scripture. And this gets them so far away from Mosaic Judaism, from the from the Torah, from the Old Testament, that nowadays you have one of the final stages, or the second to last stage of Judaism, and that is atheistic Judaism. It is anti-Jehovah Judaism. And if you go over to Israel today and you go through their national museum that they are putting up in Jerusalem— it is amazing. It is beautiful. They have spared no expense, and they go over the history of the nation of Israel from before, you know, most recorded history exists on earth over the last six, 7,000 years, all the way up through today, and you want to know what they have completely left out in that museum is any ties whatsoever to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is no mention of their history from Egypt into the promised land. There is no mention of their history of the temple and King David. There is no mention of their history as God's chosen people and what he brought them through in the Babylonian captivity. There's none of it. The Ten Commandments, the crossing of the Red Sea, the Passover, it's all been wiped away from their own history. And those are the levels that you see the Jews go through. And and what's a shame right. is that <clears throat> that's what happens when we take over and we start changing the way we're supposed to do things out of the Bible. It only goes downhill. It gets worse and worse and worse until it's just gone. And Caleb, one of, one of my favorite <clears throat> quotes from you 
one of the things I tell people all the time is that my friend Caleb says, says this, if we're not, if we don't believe the Bible and do what the Bible says, then we're no different from every other social club in the world. What is the church if we're not obeying the Bible? Who is a Christian yeah, if, if, we're the, if we don't obey the Bible? If we're the same as everybody else, then what, what do we, we have? have to offer them? We're just There's another social nothing. club. Yeah. You know, and that's such a great idea, but that's the direction that Christianity naturally goes. That's the direction that Judaism naturally goes. It goes towards um, atheism, and it goes towards moral relativism because it's going away from the Bible. Okay, I wanted to give you this right here. So this is a story. And Caleb, just tell me when you want to go. Oh, I'm I'm ready to go whenever, <laughs> but I'm I'm cool to hang out here too. But I just wanted to I wanted a quick mention. I'm not sure how long you've been on here, Sharon, if you're still watching. Uh, but she said two hours more, and then she asked the question. Uh, so when do we so celebrate the resurrection? And it, I'm not sure if you watched from the beginning, but either I think either Patrick or myself would encourage you to look at the biblical feast of unleavened bread, the Passover, and see really how this ties into the res the resurrection of Jesus. Passover. Passover lamb is symbolic of the blood of Jesus. So as you're, as you're, as a Christian celebrating the Passover is a very, very uh, powerful expression of your belief in Jesus as the lamb of God, as opposed to trying to somehow tie in Easter bunnies and, and figure out how to make this somehow replace the biblical holiday of Passover. Well, I was gonna say also the feast of uh, first fruits. And that's my answer. When people ask, well, when do we celebrate the resurrection? I mean, to be honest with you, for me, it's like, I don't care if you celebrate the resurrection or not. If you're going to do it, because we got to do it. We've always done it. I tell everyone, Feast of First Fruits. If you had to pick a day and say, when did Jesus raise? He rose on the Feast of First Fruits. And every special day in Jesus's life was on a feast day. Okay, Clint asked the question, so when was the Last Supper? So the Last Supper was the day preceding Passover. So the way that it works, and I could bring up the table again, but I'll just explain it to you. So let's just say... <clears throat> or go back to the beginning of the episode yeah. <laughs> and watch it again. <laughs> go back to the beginning of the episode and watch the first, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, and, and you'll see it. So the way it works is you have day one, and this is when <clears throat> Jesus goes up into the upper room and they have their special dinner and they have what we call the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, okay? But that was not Passover. Then what you have is they left that dinner and Judas goes to the, to the, um, uh, the high priest and Jesus and the 11 other apostles go to the Garden of Gethsemane and they go and they pray. And that's when Jesus sweats blood because he's praying so earnestly and he and he has the special time where he tells him what's going to happen. And then Judas comes in the night with the guards and they arrest Jesus. Peter cuts the ear off of the one guy and and then all the disciples flee. So then Jesus goes through the night going through these, you know, banana republic mock trials that are nonsense where they're accusing him of this, that, and the other thing and trying to bring witnesses forth and they can't find any. And then finally they get some. And, and then finally the, in the, in the morning, the, the Bible says 
he ends up in front of Herod. So now Jesus is, is standing there and you have the long story about Jesus in front of Herod and Herod says, he's innocent. He didn't do anything. I washed my hands of this. Who should I give you to, to be freed? And they say, Barabbas. And what should I do with Jesus? And they say, crucify him. And he says, I'm done. My hands are clean. I'm not a part of this. And they say, crucify him, crucify him. So then they put the robe on and the thorns and everything. And this is in the daytime, in the middle of the day. And then they give him the cross and they lead him up to Golgotha. And they crucify him between the two thieves. So then Jesus was crucified. And we know that he had to have died with time to bring him down, wrap him up in his burial shroud, and give him to Joseph of Arimathea and have him be brought to the tomb and put in the tomb and the stone rolled into place. And then the sunset and Passover started. So what you got to understand is that the Passover ceremony for Jews in Israel is that the day leading up to sundown, which is when Passover starts. Passover starts at sundown. The day leading up to that is when you're doing all your preparation for Passover. So you're getting the lamb, you're killing the lamb, you're butchering the lamb, you're starting to cook the lamb, and then you're going to eat it. Some people say at sundown, just before, just after. Okay, but that's when they would eat it. So Jesus died the same time that the lambs were dying throughout the day. Quick rabbit trail. Caleb, do you know how many lambs they killed in 70 AD? So there was a historian named Josephus, and he was there when the Romans came in in 70 AD and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed it. Do you know how many lambs were killed that year in Jerusalem? I don't. 250,000 lambs. Wow. That's how many Jews were there, how many families needed lambs. When you read the history books, you find out that people would travel from around the world to come and witness the priesthood butcher all of those lambs in a day because it was such a feat. It was impressive for anybody to watch. So you got to understand that the whole day, is just killing lambs, butchering lambs, and people taking their lamb and going home and and cooking their lamb. Okay, so that's what was what was going on. And while these lambs are being herded in to the slaughter, Jesus is being led up the mountain. And as these lambs are dying, Jesus dies because he was the Passover lamb. So then the people they eat their lamb. Jesus, he's in the tomb, and Passover starts, and that's at sundown. And then over that night. That was when the angel of death passed through the land back in Egypt and killed the firstborn male of every house in Egypt. The apostles and the Lord Jesus had the Last Supper the day before Passover. Well, I am falling asleep two and a half hours into it, so I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to call it off if you are. No, I have no idea I, what we're talking about next week, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I also Whatever don't know what we're talking about anymore right now. I'm falling asleep. So this will be a good time to sign off. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Please follow, like, listen, and share our stuff on Spotify and Google Play and share these videos around. Hopefully they help somebody. 
um, we certainly have fun doing it. So that's the reason we started doing this, not not because we thought we were going to be terribly helpful, just because we enjoyed it. We weren't trying to radically change the lives of the eight or ten listeners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think our last episode, if I'm not mistaken, we have over a thousand views on that right now, which is up from like six or eight hundred on some of our previous ones. So whoever's watching, thank you, and uh, definitely go on and find us on Spotify and all the other podcast platforms. I yeah. will put that link that you put in the comments right onto our main page after we end the episode here. So people okay. can find us on Spotify. Sounds good. Good night, everybody.